Without vision, the people perish. That's one of my life verses. I learnt it in the King James Version. It's actually half a verse. And it's actually better translated, without revelation, the people cast off restraint. Vision matters. Our view of the future shapes our behaviour in the present. That is a truth of life. It's a truth that Jesus understood. It's a truth that he lived by. It says this in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. What does it say there? It says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, because of the vision that he had of the future, he endured the cross. He got through the present because of his view of the future. Or when we read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says this, Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's not possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, as you will. Jesus understood that our vision of the future enables to live in the present in a way that blesses us and blesses others. Jesus' vision of the future shaped his behavior in the moment. It was true of Jesus, it's a truth of Scripture, and it's true of us, isn't it? I know that in my life, when I've struggled emotionally, it's so often because I've lost my vision of the future. Or even worse, my vision of the future is negative. And if your vision of the future is negative, it's so easy to be negative in the moment, to fall in on yourself. That's one of the devastating effects of depression, which so many suffer from in our world. Their vision of the future is so bleak, they can't get through the day. What is Jesus' vision for us? Well, we're told in Matthew 28, the last words that Matthew records of Jesus speaking to his disciples. If you've been in church a while, you'll know them well. If not, I'm going to read them for you right now. This is Matthew's Gospel, 28 verses 16 to 20, the final words of Matthew's Gospel. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is an amazing vision. This is an incredible mission statement. It's amazing for numbers of reasons, but I want to draw out two for us this morning. Firstly, it's amazing because of who is speaking. Words are powerful, aren't they? Just in and of themselves, words are powerful. But they take on extra power, extra authority, extra gravitas 
if the person speaking those words also carries power and authority. Who is speaking here is what makes these words so amazing. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, Jesus, Jesus the risen Christ. These disciples, these followers of Jesus had been with him for at least three years. They had cried with this man. They had eaten with this man. They'd walked with this man. They'd laughed with this man. They'd been in a boat in a storm with this man. They'd seen this man do incredible things. And here he is, risen. He was amazing before. Now everything has changed. The man they saw crucified is now in front of them. The man they had abandoned has not abandoned them. He's come back to them. He's called them. He's the same, but totally different. That's why you have this this strange interaction where some of them are doubting, how can this be? How can Jesus, who I knew and laughed with, how can he be the Messiah? How can he be risen? They're they're kind of processing doubt, but also they're worshipping. He must be who he said he was. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. This vision is amazing because Jesus is speaking it to them. The risen Christ, the one they knew and the one they've discovered all in a moment. And not only that, he has authority. He had authority before Remember, people said of him, wow, with what authority he teaches. But now he has all authority. That which had been limited has now been lifted. All authority in heaven and earth. This man, this risen Messiah, is speaking with all authority. Wow, we better listen, they're thinking. This is an amazing vision because of who is speaking. It's also an amazing vision because of the scope of this vision. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Some of us who've been around a while and gone to the odd management seminar have been taught about smart goals. They're meant to be realistic and attainable. Well, Jesus clearly didn't get that memo because... There's nothing attainable or realistic about this vision. All nations. A little bit of research, as in I googled it, told me that the population of the world at this moment is about, as much as they can tell, 200 million people. And we're told that 11 uh, disciples met with Jesus on the mountain. Well, again, a little bit of math tells me that's about 18 million people each that these men have got to reach. Now, I know there were probably more than 11 there, maybe up to 100. Well, okay, but that still gives them 1.8 million people each to reach. This is enormous. This is unrealistic. This is huge. This vision is amazing because of who is speaking and because of the size of the picture that is being painted. You are going to go to the whole world. Wow. That's something to get you up in the morning, isn't it? So, without vision, the people perish. Tick. Jesus has given us a vision. Tick. It shaped the first disciples' lives, therefore it will shape mine. Tick. Great, we must be done. I'm at eight minutes. What a great way to start the year. An eight-minute sermon. 
Mm. It shapes their lives, but does it shape mine? Does it shape yours? Does it shape ours? Is this vision what gets me up in the morning? Well, well, yes. And no. Yes, it stirs me to worship, but I also doubt, just like these disciples. Why is that? You see, I believe this vision. I've preached on this vision. I'm doing it right now. I've read it multiple times. I've heard it spoken over me multiple times. But it doesn't always shape my life. Why is that? Now, maybe you're different. Maybe this is totally shaping your life. Praise God. Well, walk with me a bit. Because sometimes it doesn't shape my life. And though it's incredible, it's not doing in my heart what it did in these first disciples. Why might that be? And what might I do about that in 2022? We're at the start of a new year. We don't know what this year holds. We, We don't know. But I do know that if I live my life in exactly the same way as in 2022 as I did in 2021, I'll see the same sorts of results. And I want to see more. I want to see more of God in my life. I want to see more of God's power in my life and in my home and in my street and in my neighborhood and in my nation and in the nations. So what might need to change? Well, let's revisit our verses that I read earlier. Proverbs 29, 18. This time I'll read the whole of the verse. It says this in the NIV. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. This more accurate translation, reading the whole of the verse, helps me in my quest to grab hold of this vision. Because it reminds me that God is relational. That God's vision is always working in the context of relationship. Jesus was always working in the context of relationship. The word revelation rather than vision points to something that's been given, that's been revealed. It's been shown. Come come see. Here, look. That's revelation. We know that Jesus was the perfect revelation of the character of God. Our verse is taken from the book of Proverbs, and in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. It is personal. It is relationship. When the book of Proverbs talks about getting wisdom, it talks about relational getting of wisdom. It talks about listening to wisdom, heeding wisdom, walking with wisdom. This is about relationship. Jesus, the perfect revelation of God's wisdom. 
This year, we're going to be digging into John's gospel. How does it start? In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, or sometimes the wisdom of God. And the wisdom, the Word, the Logos became flesh and walked among us. It's relational. Jesus is this perfect representation of who God is, of relationship between God and man. What helps me grab hold of this vision is to remember it's not about task, it's about relationship. Look at how Jesus finishes this amazing vision statement. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, I think sometimes I miss the call on my life. I miss the weight of this vision. I forget to get excited about this vision because I think it's about doing something for Jesus, whereas actually what Jesus is saying here is come and do something with me. The Great Commission is not about doing stuff for God. It's about doing stuff with God. Being with Jesus. Jesus isn't asking me to add this vision to my to-do list. He's inviting me to be with him in the midst of my to-do list. We read earlier from Hebrews to show how Jesus endured the present for the joy set before him. But how does that verse start? It starts by this, fix your eyes on task? No. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us our vision is not about doing stuff for Jesus. Our vision is Jesus. Being with him. Jesus is inviting me to be with him, to do things with him. And that so helps me because I don't know about you, but my life is pretty busy. And I don't think 2022 is going to get any slower. And if the vision of God becomes about task, I'm suddenly adding things to an already too long to do list. But if you're talking to me about being with Jesus, that's a different ballpark. You see, I get weary. When I get weary, my list gets longer and it gets oppressive. But Jesus' vision is especially for the weary. This is what he says earlier in Matthew's Gospel. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is using the imagery of a yoke on oxen. <laughs> and, and there is this imagery in what Jesus is saying. Of like he, it would have been a, a yoke would have been over two oxen, an older, wiser oxen and a younger, less wise oxen. And Jesus is using this imagery of, well, yeah, there's a yoke and one half is on Simon, on, not on Simon, on Jesus. And then I'm in the other half and he's taking the weight. Jesus is using that imagery very, very much so. But also he's using a Hebrew phrase. 
And the yoke was, was a way of describing the lifestyle of a rabbi, of what it meant to live like a rabbi. So Jesus is, is using extra imagery here. He's saying, come and live life with me. Come and live life like me. You see, the way that I keep hold of this vision all the way through 2022 is to keep reminding myself, I'm not called to do stuff for Jesus. I'm called to be with Jesus. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, what do they say of the disciples? They don't say, oh, look what they did. No, they say, oh, they took note they'd been with Jesus. This is how this gets inside of me, to remember that it's relational. How else do I grab hold of this vision with fresh vigor in 2022? Well, remember who we're with, Jesus. But also, let's learn a bit of Greek grammar. I know you've been waiting for this moment. You thought, when are we going to do some Greek grammar, Simon? Well, here it is. So often when we read this passage or hear it spoken, we misplace our imperatives. I don't know if you knew you were doing that, but we so often misplace our imperatives. The imperative in a statement is the, is the most important. It's the thing you should do. It's the, it's the active word. If you're an English teacher out there, I apologize okay, for that description of what an imperative is, but that's how I understand it. So often we see the imperative in this statement, the emphasis as the word go. Yeah, go and make disciples. But actually... It doesn't say that in the Greek. In the Greek, the imperative is make disciples. And it actually reads like this in the Greek, as you go, or as you walk through life with Jesus, make disciples. How does this help us? Well, it helps me in this way. Firstly, if the imperative is go... The focus is on people who go. We can very quickly think making disciples, evangelism, mission is about leaving where we are and going somewhere else. Or it's about going and doing certain activities. Now, of course, at one level it is. We bless those who uproot and move to other nations to preach the gospel. Friends of mine are doing that even in the next couple of weeks. It's amazing. It's a great calling. But it's a calling on a few, not on the many. And yet we are all called to be witnesses. We're all called to make disciples. If we think of it as going all the time, we think, oh, I'm staying, therefore I'm not on mission. I'm not called to make disciples. And we miss it. Equally, if we make go the imperative, as I said, this vision becomes another thing to do, another task Another thing to add to my to-do list. The devil really wants to distract us from our calling. And one of the ways he does that is for us to confuse our calling. And if we're constantly thinking it's about going somewhere else or doing another thing, we will miss what Jesus is calling us to. We are called to live life with Jesus. Disciple-making is the imperative. But disciple-making is about calling people to be with Jesus as we are with Jesus. 
Evangelism and mission are for most of us not a specific calling to a particular area or a particular people. No, they're part of who we are. They are not a religious activity. They are the very outworking of our relationship with God. That means when I walk into work, when I walk into uh, college, when I walk into school, when I'm spending time with friends, when I'm buying my coffee, when I'm in Tesco's or Lidl or Aldi or Sainsbury's, other supermarkets are available. You know, if I'm doing those things, I'm realizing I'm on mission with Jesus. I'm looking to make disciples. See, it changes how I feel about my calling. It's not another task. It's not something I'm trying to do. It's not uprooting everything and going somewhere else. No. It's about being with Jesus. It's about walking with Jesus. It's about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, as we saw in our Galatians series last year. It's about looking at what Jesus did, looking at how Jesus lived, doing the things he did, living how he lived, as close as we can in our context. That's why we're going to spend this year following Jesus through a gospel. Following this man. What did he do? How did he speak? Who did he spend time with? Because we want to be like him, and to be like him, we want to be with him, and we want to be doing the things that he is doing. So what does that mean practically? Well, Jesus gives us some broad brushstrokes, baptize, teach to obey everything I've commanded you. What about the detail? Some of you are desperate for the detail. What are, okay, Simon, I know it's all about being with Jesus, but what is the task? The task is to be with Jesus. And we work everything else out on the journey, friends. What I love about this passage is that Jesus doesn't talk to them one by one. He doesn't call them in one by one and say, okay, Peter, this is what you need to do, and John, this is what you need to do, and Andrew, this is what you need to do. No, he called them together. He calls them to be with him together. We are called this year to be with Jesus and to follow him, but to work it out together. That's why we're called the church, ecclesia, the gathering. We're meant to gather. We're meant to learn together, to pray together, to worship together, to pray for one another, to equip one another, to serve one another, so that when we are scattered... We can do the things that Jesus did. That's what would happen to these men hearing these words. They would be together and then they would be scattered. Then they'd come back together and then they'd be scattered. But they'd always be with Jesus because Jesus had promised, I will always be with you to the very end of the age. What does this vision mean for us in our friendships, our families, our workplaces, our colleges, our households, our neighborhoods? I don't know. We're going to work it out together. In step with the Holy Spirit and encouraging one another on the way. 2020 and 2021 were weird years, hard years, grief-stricken years for many. We don't know what 2022 holds. But we know this. 
Jesus is for us. Jesus is with us. And Jesus calls us to be with him on an incredible adventure of faith. Let's walk through it together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you you have called us by name. That you know us each as individuals, but you've also called us to be a community together. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you help us fix our eyes on Jesus in this year? Would you do more than we could ask or imagine? Would you transform our lives afresh and through us bring transformation and kingdom into everywhere we go? Thank you, Lord. Amen.